But most people, like I said, when they get an injury, they're just like, <gasps> they're frozen in fear, right? They don't want to do anything. Everything hurts. They can't do anything. They're so terrified. Oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Am I ever going to work out again? All these questions they ask, you know, big thing is just take a breath. All right, welcome back everybody to episode 16 of the Building Lifelong Athletes podcast. My name is Jordan Renicki. Thanks so much for stopping by. I really appreciate it. Today, we're going a little bit in a different direction, going to kind of change courses a little bit here. Instead of just talking about one specific topic, I'm going to answer a couple questions or themes that I kind of either hear about, see about, or get asked about, you know, so I kind of think adding more question-based content can be helpful and then kind of get a little bit of a, a little bit of a sampling, which is kind of nice here. So we're going to talk into a couple t concepts today. We're going to talk about RPE. We're going to talk about lifting to max. And then what do you do when you have an injury? So those are the main things we're talking about here and we'll get started right away. All right, well, the first question we're going to talk about today is what is RPE? And you may have saw this on social media or heard someone talk about it, but RPE stands for rating of perceived exertion. And essentially all it means is how hard you feel like you're working out. You know, it all started back with the Borg scale. You know, this kind of starts with our cardiovascular based training um, in the in the research setting. You know, there's a scale from six to 20. Six means, hey, I'm doing pretty much nothing. Whereas 20 means, hey, this is as hard as I can go. And from there, you're kind of giving grading saying, hey, how hard am I working? And so people say, hey, I'm you know, doing about 12 to 14. That's moderately, you know, challenging for people. Whereas when we start getting up to, you know, 20, obviously it's super, super challenging. Um, but this is kind of the, the first start we had into this whole concept of, you know, how can we rate how hard we're working? You know, when you're working, are you just breaking, barely breaking a sweat kind of on the lower end of things, or are you, you know, almost dying? That's on the far end of things. And so the reason that it's six to 20 initially is actually has a really good correlation with heart rate when you multiply by 10. And so, you know, it might not seem very intuitive, like, well, why don't they just choose one to 10? Um, but six to 20 actually had a purpose for it. Cause it kind of, you can use that if you're saying, Hey, I'm at a seven, you multiply by that, that by 10, then you have a pretty decent estimation of what your heart rate is expected to be. Um, and it's been shown in a couple of studies that that has a decent indicator for it, but you know, we don't really use it as much in the general population for things, but from a research-based perspective, it's kind of nice to see, um, you know, how close someone's getting, you know, when they say they're at this spot and they compare it to what they actually are on the heart rate monitor, it's kind of cool to see, but that's kind of the initial RP, you know, the six to 20, and then it's kind of been tweaked from there. There's another one called the Omni, and essentially that's usually one to 10, and I think this is the one most people see when you're looking at social media or hear people talk about it, and that's the one I use, you know, in terms of going on one to 10. One meaning like, hey, I could do this all day, and once again, 10's like, you know, max effort thing that we can do there. And, you know, that's another way of kind of, once again, just a little more intuitive saying, Hey, minimal effort to max effort. We can kind of go from there. The hardest thing that we can possibly do is a 10 and you know, one is just kind of easy. So it kind of gives us a base of saying, Hey, I, this is how hard I think I'm working. And it kind of gives us a nice, you know, baseline of saying, Hey, this is what I think I'm at. And then we can kind of adjust things from there. Okay, so maybe your question is, okay, well, what's the purpose of this? How do I use it? Well, there's a couple things that we can do for it. First, we can kind of auto-regulate with this. What I mean by auto-regulate is kind of day-to-day, -day you go to the gym and you're going to feel a little different, right? You know, you don't go to the gym every single day and say, man, I feel great. I'm ready to go. I'm going to max out every single day. You know, that doesn't happen. So with RP, what's really cool is you can, you know, have a set RPE for your workout and kind of base the weights off of that. So let's say, hey, I'm doing some back squats today, three by five, and it's supposed to be an RPE of eight. And let's say, you know, I'm feeling really good and it's, you know, 300 pounds or whatnot. Let's just say that number. And then the next day I'm supposed to do three by five again, RP eight, but I'm feeling awful and I can only get 255. You know, you, it's still an RP eight because you're perceiving that it's really challenging. It's, it's at that eight level, um, but it's not where you were before. And so it kind of helps auto-regulate that. That means, you know, I kind of like that because if you go to a, a day where you're not feeling so hot, it doesn't mean you have to just go grind through to get a specific number. You can kind of scale, you know, back appropriately and kind of still give your body the appropriate stimulus, but not too much stimulus. So that's really nice and, and from that regard. 
And typically, a lot of times, it kind of helps you move forward in the longer term, you know, in terms of it gives you an intensity goal for the day. Say, hey, my goal is to work up to some heavy singles at RP9, which means, hey, they're pretty darn hard, but I'm not maxing out all the way. Or you can say, hey, um, you know, this exercise today, RP7, I want to, to leave a little bit in the tank, I want it to be challenging, but not too bad. So it kind of can give us a good goal for intensity and then can also kind of help auto regulate the day. Another question people have is, well, is reps in reserve the same as RP? And although technically no, they're pretty much used interchangeably. And what reps in reserve means essentially how many reps you feel like you have left after a certain set. So let's say you're just grinding out bench press. You feel like you could have done maybe one more rep. Well, that's a rep in reserve RIR of one. So I'm saying you have one single rep left. Now you back it down. You say two more. That's RIR two. And so you'll notice that RIR and RPE are inversely related. So obviously the higher the RPE, the lower the RIR. What that means is the higher RPE, which means the higher, you know, perceived exertion. So the harder you're working, the fewer reps you can do. So the lower RIR, it's kind of interesting there. So they do not go hand in hand as one goes up, the other goes up. Actually, as one goes up, the other goes down, which is interesting enough, but you can use this pretty much in the same way as RPE. You can say, Hey, on my squat today, I want to go RIR three, meaning I got three left in the tank and you can kind of use that like RP. It's very similar. It's just another way that some people find is a little more intuitive because if, you know, an RP of seven or eight, well, what does that mean? Whereas RIR is like, Oh, okay. Actually I, you know, think I could do two more. I don't think I could do any more than that. It kind of gives you a nice baseline. So some people are really, really good at RPE based on how they feel in their body. Other people like RIR, it's really, you know, up to you, but essentially what these tools are is to help us auto-regulate our programming. Okay. And so you might be asking, cool, that's great. What about this academic nonsense? How does it use practically? Well, for me, you know, most of my strength components, the first start of the day, I use some sort of RPE scale. So essentially, you know, RPE seven, eight, nine, something like that. And it kind of gives me some guides for the day for my strength training. I go in there and make sure I'm not, you know, going too crazy or going too light. I want to make sure I have an appropriate stimulus. So for me, it's usually like the first thing I do for strength is something, you know, RPE around seven to nine to kind of make sure I'm getting a good stimulus. And the reason I do that too, is make sure that we're kind of getting the reps that we need to, right? So for high hypertrophy or for strength, we want to make sure we're having quality reps. You know, if you're just repping out things all day and it's not challenging, well, that's not going to induce any changes in terms of strength or hypertrophy. Um, and if you're going to like, you know, max out every single day, that's probably not as ideal. And you're gonna have a lot of, uh, a lot of fatigue there as well. So it kind of helps guide me for my effort for the day and also making sure I'm hitting quality reps for hypertrophy and strength. I also like this so much because it helps me adjust for good or bad days. Like I said, if I'm feeling good and I want to keep going up, I can do that. If you know the weight's moving fast and it feels really easy, I can move up that weight and kind of get the appropriate stimulus for the day. Whereas, you know, when you have just a regular program that's based off percentage, you just say, okay, I'm supposed to do, you know, this weight today and it feels super easy, but oh, I, I guess that's it. I'm done for the day. And so what's nice about this is you can kind of auto-regulate it to there. And for me, it's honestly more important to do it the other way. Whereas like you're just grinding out something that shouldn't be grinding out. Um, you can kind of scale back from there. So that's super helpful, but it does take time to get used to. I said, it's very challenging. There's, you know, studies showing that people who don't do this and don't practice it aren't very good at guessing. So if you just take someone off the street and say, Hey, do an RP of seven, they're going to have no idea, you know, what it looks like. So this takes a lot of time of lifting, um, quite frequently kind of getting the exposure to that and honestly using some heavy weights. Cause you're not gonna really know what it feels like to have, you know, an RIR of one, like one left in the tank, unless you're doing some heavy weights. And so it just takes a little time. But that being said, I encourage you to start doing it, you know, try it and see, Hey, what does this feel like? You know, what, where am I at? Cause the more you practice, the better get it. And I think it's a really, really good tool that we can have in our tool belt to kind of help us, uh, like I said, auto-regulate our day and help us make gains, um, later down the line. Okay. Now we're moving into the question. Should I one rep max? You know, we've talked about RPE and RIR talking about like, should I be going RP 10? Should I be going all out Jordan just grinding? Well, it depends, you know, like I said, in terms of definitions first, like in case someone's not familiar with a one rep max is what that means is you're essentially putting on the maximum amount of weight 
and doing one single rep of that. So you're trying to get, you know, the max amount of weight you can do. Essentially what we, when we watch powerlifting competitions, they're doing one rep maxes or trying to at least to lift as much as humanly possible. It's essentially, like I said, the sport of powerlifting, the sport of Olympic weightlifting is trying to do as much as possible. And so the question is, why would you do this? Right? Well, like I said, first things first, if this is part of your sport, if you're a weightlifter or a powerlifter, then like you have to do it, right? There's no getting around that. You can't just be like, Oh, I'm never going to do this because on competition day, you have to do it. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to train specifically for that all the time. Meaning like you have to do singles at, you know, RP 10 or max out every single day. I think most people don't do that, um, but it's going to inherently be part of your program. That's just the way it goes. You have to get used to being underweight and then you're also trying to lift as much weight to win the competition. So that has to happen. Additionally, you know, if this is something you love, I, I know people who are like, I love maxing out. It's like my favorite thing. And, you know, high school Jordan would agree with that. Love doing that. Uh, maybe not what I do now necessarily, but if this is like gets you out of bed in the morning, then I'm not going to say like, don't do it. Cause I think there's some decent data that shows like powerlifting and weightlifting, they're pretty safe sports. And so, and that's even when they're, you know, going hardcore. And so it's not something that, you know, I, I, I would not recommend doing every single day, but if you're just like, I love it and I want to do it, then I'm not here to stop you. Like you're, you're a strong person, your body's capable, you can do it. Um, for me, the risk reward is always the conversation, but that is another reason some people may want to do it. Another reason is to kind of help base, you know, your percentages for your lift. Like we talked about, you know, before auto-regulation using RPE, some people use percentage based. So essentially they calculate off of their max. So they, the max squat is, you know, 400 pounds. And then you, you know, and the program calls for 90% of that, you know, by having that max, you know, where that 90% is. And, you know, some people will do that and track that and base their program off of that. So that's, it's very valid to do. Um, and you're not wrong by doing that at all, but that's another reason why maxing may be helpful. Okay. So you might be asking, well, what are they actually the pros of this, Jordan? You know, well, first things first, like lifting heavy things is really fun. Um, for some people, not for everyone, but it can be really fun when you're lifting something you feel like you've accomplished a lot. So that can be really helpful. Like I talked about before, you can get really accurate percentages, understanding, you know, based off of your one rep max, you can kind of fill in your program off of that. So that can be super helpful as well. Um, and then also, like I said, it's just nice to know where you're at, what your capability, what your limits are, and you kind of go from there. So, all right, there's definitely some pros, but there's also some cons as well. You know, the first one everyone talks about is the risk for injury, right? You know, I think it's fair to kind of think that intuitively there's probably a risk, a higher risk of maxing out than just doing regular lifting. If you think about it too, like when you're, if you're sprinting, you're just doing 75% versus hundred, it was probably a high risk of you getting injured at hundred percent. It's just the way it works. When you're pushing your body to the absolute max, you're going to have some injuries or potential risk for that injury. And then that can happen. So that's kind of the big one everyone talks about. Like, so I don't think it's necessarily that if you go one or max, you're going to get hurt. Like we see that time and time again with people lifting all over the world that that doesn't happen, but it kind of puts you closer to the edge there. And it's that risk benefit ratio, right? Like, is this worth it for me or not? So that's number one. Number two, it can actually be a big fatigue load on you. Like if you do maxing out, you know, if you've ever done a true max out, like you are like wiped after that. You're just like, man, your whole body's just like, holy cow. And so doing that a lot can lead to a lot of fatigue. And if we have a lot of fatigue, that means we have to recover from that fatigue. And so it might kind of impact the future workouts that we have or how we're feeling that day or that week or whatnot. And so that's just something to always consider as well. And then finally too, if you're maxing and you're not improving, it can be really demoralizing. And we're not trying to have anybody have a demoralizing thing, but you know, if you <laughs> start off on maxing before a cycle, do a whole cycle and get no improvement, you're like, what the heck? That's good knowledge that's good information to know um but you know it can be demoralizing and i think there's other ways to probably know if you're making progress instead of one rep maxing but you know those are kind of the big cons i think about most people will talk about as well Okay, so what do I recommend? Well, I think for the vast majority of people, you don't need to do one rep maxing. I think it just probably doesn't make sense from a risk reward benefit. Obviously, like I said, if you're a powerlifter, you're a weightlifter, you have to do it. But I think for most people who just want to lift to be healthy and be active and are lifelong athletes, I don't think you need to do one rep max. Like I said, some people love it and it's what gets them up in the morning. That's good. Go for it. But for me, the risk reward is just not there. I think there's lots of other ways that you can monitor progress. I think if you, you know, 
are doing exercises where in the RPE range of like, you know, anywhere from like seven, eight, maybe nine, and you're getting, you know, feeling you're increasing weight there or you're increasing reps or it's just easier, like subjectively. I mean, there's so many ways to say like, Hey, I'm making progress rather than saying, Hey, this one load, you know, this is everything. And for me, like the reason I'm not a huge fan of one rep maxing is just because, you know, you're putting so much importance on one number. Whereas, like I said, if, if you go to the gym one day and you're supposed to hit this number and you don't, it's like, oh, what a bad day. Whereas, you know, otherwise, if you just kind of auto-regulate, you can say, okay, I'm going for this stimulus and I get it. That's fine. We'll go from there. Like I said, I have a very like long-term perspective of working out. And for me, it's like, hey, uh, how can I keep working out, you know, 40 years from now? So that's kind of my goal. And some people have, you know, more myopic kind of views on that. And they want to get this number now. And that's totally fine. Like I said, for the vast majority of people, I don't think one maxing is necessary. It's certainly not necessary for hypertrophy or strength gains. I think we've seen that time and time again in the literature that you can work, you know, anywhere that makes, as long as you're giving like a good effort and you're having some stimulus, you know, like I said, RPE, you know, six up to nine, anywhere in that range, you're probably going to be okay. But as long as you're working hard and challenging the muscles, you can have strength and hypertrophy again. You do not need to do one rep maxing. And so that's why for me, it's like you can get all these benefits that we want and we don't have to put the stress, the strain, you know, and the injury risk with one rep maxes. So for me, it's just, I don't do them. Like I said, if that's what you want to do and that's part of your program, I think you can be a healthy athlete and a lifelong athlete while doing that. But for me, that's just something that I, I don't necessarily do on a regular basis. In fact, what I think can be helpful sometimes is kind of work up towards it, right? Like working up, like you're going to one rep max and then just pull back just a little bit. I know there's some people who talk about like in terms of sprinting, like unless you're a track athlete, you know, just doing 90 to 95% sprints. If you want to do sprint workouts, like you get most of the benefits, but like without the, as much, you know, the, the hundred percent risk. And I think it's the same thing for lifting, you know, you get most of the benefits working up to those challenging sets. Um, you get the vast majority of the benefits there and you don't have to like grind out to get everything at the end. Cause you're getting all the benefits there. So once again, risk rewards, but Hey, it is what it is. So so if you're telling me like, Jordan, I don't care what you say, I'm gonna max, maxing his life, that's fine, man. Let's talk about how we might be able to do that safely. You know, the first things first is you gotta warm up, right? I need you to warm up, you know, an excessive warm, and not just your normal like, hey, okay, let's just go a little bit, but we're gonna really ramp up and build towards it. You know, work, you know, building a warm up is a whole nother probably podcast or topic in, in, its, in and of itself, but I think the big thing is you have to do lots and lots of reps of what you're gonna do. So if you squat, you've gotta progressively get up there till you're feeling good, and you've gotta kinda prime your body and your central nervous system to get ready for it. So warming up, super, super important. Another thing that's super important is, you know, having safety in mind, right? You know, I don't want you to necessarily just be doing a bench press by yourself and you're just boom, you're locked in and you can't get up and you're struggling, you know, having either safety spotters or having a, you know, someone behind you to spot as well can be super important. Um, so just understanding the logistics of it, like, what do you do? How do you bail? You know, how do we properly bail all those things? And so having safety in mind is also really important. And additionally too, what I don't recommend is just starting off your workout, you know, journey with a one rep max. I, we definitely don't need to do that. You know, some people are like, oh, I want to see where I'm at. Like, don't do that. I think the, the smartest way to do a one rep max is to kind of do it after you've slowly built up and you've kind of accumulated all those reps, right? So you've done that movement time and time again, you've, you know, increased your load, increased the load. You want to see where you're at in your capacity. That's fine. But do it at the end of a cycle, not necessarily right away to start um, and giving yourself a huge amount of fatigue. Obviously, if you're a, a lifter who's been doing a long, long time, it kind of things ever mesh together, right? Like when, when are you beginning and when are you ending? That never truly, no one can truly tell. Um, but if you're anywhere on like the beginner side of thing, there's no reason to necessarily have to max out to start. Um, I would say make, you know, make your progress, continue to go. And then if you need to do it, do it towards the end, you know, not in the front side of things. All right. So moving on to our last topic, we're going to talk about what do you do when you get an injury? So, you know, we've been talking about one rep maxing RP, maybe you've just been 
going hardcore. Maybe we did a little too much and we're just kind of feeling some aches and pains. Where we have an injury or something, you know, that really worries you happen. So the question is, how do we deal with it? You know, the first things first is you have to judge severity, right? So you got to be honest with yourself, right? Obviously, if there's like a bone sticking out, you're like, ah, go to the ER. That's like one of those no brainers things. But the rest, you know, for the rest of the most injuries, um, you kind of just kind of have to evaluate and say, Hey, is this something that's like, oh yeah, oh, it's a little naggy and that doesn't feel good afterwards. And I don't like it. Or like, oh, I tweaked it a little bit and like, it's okay, but it's not devastating. You know, you kind of have to gauge it out. If you're worried, you're ever in the point where you're like, this is the worst pain of my life. Anytime you're the worst pain in your life, it's probably worth getting checked out or talking to someone. I'll just be like to cover, you know, cover my bases. They're saying if you're having like the worst pain in your life, probably should do that. But if you're having like aches and pains or you felt like a little tweak, you know, most of these things can be self-managed really effectively. And that's what I want to try to encourage you to do. You know, the old adage used to be rice, right? So rest, ice, compression, elevate. That was the answer for like everything. You go to your doctor, it's like ibuprofen, rice, that's it. And then you just do that for how long until it's better and then don't do what you're doing. You know, it's, it's one of those things where it, it was meant to be, you know, good advice and be helpful, but I think we've kind of moved on past that and learned like the, there's probably better ways to do that. So, you know, a new acronym now that I've seen in the British Journal of Sports Medicine talks about it, it's called peace and love. And so peace and love instead of rice, um, and, you know, not as easy. Obviously there's a lot more letters in peace and love than there are rice, but I think it's a really nice acronym. And I'll kind of run through the, what the acronym stands for, you know, first things first, P is for protection. So obviously if you just hurt something like, Oh, like I hurt my back deadlifting or squatting or who knows doing whatever, like protection doesn't mean like you need to be in a cast and you need to be rigid. It's just like, okay, let's, let's protect that area and let's not do that. You know, thing that's going to hurt it a lot anymore. So, oh yeah, like I, you know, my shoulder really hurts anytime I go like this, like, okay, like let's not do that repetitively with lots of weight in, in for the next couple of days. Like that's, that's all you mean by protection. That don't mean you have to get a boot. You know, sometimes in life that happens, you're super flared up. I have to put you in a splint or, you know, I put you in a cast or whatnot. We, we do that at times, but for most people, protection just means kind of taking easy, you know, rest for a couple of days and, and rest doesn't mean complete rest. We'll talk more about that but it just means like hey don't keep doing what you're doing if it really hurt when you're doing that thing like let's back off a little bit like you're gonna be okay you're gonna be fine like you'll make plenty of gains like we're playing the long game here right so i'm not living for today or tomorrow i'm living for 30 years down the line so like i said protection is just kind of meaning hey be smart about things next we have elevation you know that was part of our rice acronym elevation Data is kind of like mixed on this. It's not great. The theory though is that kind of we're helping things drain. Well, you know, when we have inflammation, it goes to where we have that injury. Let's say, you know, when you sprain your ankle, that's just like the most classic example. It just puffs up and swollen. When you elevate it, it kind of helps, you know, inflammation get out of there, kind of helps blood circulate a little bit and just like and move around a little bit. But like I said, evidence isn't great, but it can be helpful and usually it, it does feel good for people. So we it's not a harmful thing to be doing. Um for the A in peace, that's actually avoiding anti-inflammatories. Like we talked about before. You go to the doctor a lot of times, they're like, hey, here's my ibuprofen, stop doing what you're doing. But actually, we want to avoid you know, anti-inflammatories. At the end of the day, your body uses inflammation to help heal things. And so if we're doing anti-inflammatory in that setting, then we're kind of preventing the healing from happening too. So, you know, it can be nice for pain relief in terms of, you know, when you take like an ibuprofen, but you know, if you really, really need pain relief, Tylenol, you can use that or acetaminophen that doesn't have necessarily as strong anti-inflammatory properties. Um, but typically we don't want to just give you lots of, lots of NSAIDs and say, Hey, take these, you know, it'd be fine for the pain, but actually it's inhibiting our, you know, inf natural inflammation, which is our, what our body's using to regenerate things and to heal things. So we want to avoid those if possible um, to kind of to kind of help your body just augment its natural healing. And the C in peace is compression. Like we talked about with rice, compression can be helpful. Some people really feel like it, it does a lot for them. Once again, ankle sprain, a lot of times people feel better with that. It's more subjective. The idea behind it is you're maybe, you know, like I said, getting, uh, keeping 
stasis way, meaning we're not having just tons of fluid sitting there. It's kind of, you know, moving it back in other places, but um, not super strong. I think there's some, you know, cool technologies now with like progressive compression in terms of like things will compress and then relax to kind of help move things through. Um, that can be helpful too, but that is something like I said, pretty much harmless. And so it's, it's okay to do if you want to. And then for the E in piece is education, right? And that's what we're doing here. You're, if you listen to this, like you're getting that educational component right now. But most people, like I said, when they get an injury, they're just like, oh, they're frozen in fear, right? They don't want to do anything. Everything hurts. They can't do anything. They're so terrified. Oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Am I ever going to work out again? All these questions they ask, you know, big things is take a breath. Like the vast majority of things get better on their own over time. If we did absolutely nothing, they'd get better. Having said, we're smart, lifelong athletes. We know that if we have an injury, we got to slowly work back and then gradually build ourselves back up to that. But, you know, most people don't know that. So for education wise, it's important to say, Hey, like, I know I had this injury. I want to kind of, you know, protect it for a little bit and be sensitive about it, but I want to be smart. And I want to keep moving. Right. I want to make sure that I'm not just sitting in bed all day. Cause you know, that's like the pretty much the worst thing you can do for an injury is just sit all day, every day. And just understanding that, Hey, this is going to get better. Understand the time course. Sometimes these things take weeks. Sometimes they take months, but having that understanding can be really, really under, uh, helpful you know, in terms of you understanding your prognosis and how long it's going to take. And so like I said, having some sort of education, whether that's, you know, you need to talk to a doctor, you need to talk to a physical therapist, whatever you need to do, you know, or if you just, you know, you know, seek stuff out yourself, just be educated that, Hey, like injuries happen. Your body is resilient and strong. It will get better. We just need to kind of help nudge it along that way. And it will take care of itself. An additional component of education is that, you know, it's not probably worth it to do lots of passive modalities. So what we made of this is it doesn't necessarily pay to go get massages or chiropractic care or dry needling or injections or whatever you want, whatever passive thing, it's usually not necessary. You know, obviously someone who can do injections, I do them quite frequently, but you know, you don't have to run someone right away after you get injured and say, Hey, I need an injection or Hey, I need manipulation or handy this and X, Y, and Z. And so actually encourage against that, you know, that's passive. Passive means like someone else is doing it to, to you, right? Whereas active is like you are in control. And so I will always be an advocate that, Hey, I want you to do active therapy. That's, you know, you exercising, you doing rehab stuff. Obviously there are times you can do passive. I'm not saying all passive things are wrong. It's okay. If you want to, you know, try some passive modalities in addition to active, I'm okay with that, but we always have to be moving in the direction of active therapy, right? So we're doing things for ourselves. We're doing things on our own. We are teaching our body, Hey, I can do this. I can move through this. It's not the end of the world. If I use this, I'm not going to fall over and die if I use this. So it's kind of teaching yourself that. Cause if you do passive stuff, just over and over, you're becoming dependent on that thing. You're saying, Hey, this thing makes me feel better. And this person does it for me. And it's like, I need that to get me better. Well, first of all, it's going to be expensive. I mean, that's going to be a lot of visits to someone. And second of all, it's not setting you up for success. So I want to set you up for success and say, Hey, we want to try to limit the passive modalities and really active, you know, focus on the active modalities. Okay. And so that was kind of peace. That's like our initial, you know, our initial thing where, Hey, first couple day or two saying, Hey, this is what we're doing on. Keep the education, understanding we're doing some elevation, maybe some compression and understanding there. Um, and then things are starting to cool down a little bit. Now we can kind of work into the love, right? And so the L for love is load. So we can start loading things back up. You know, obviously if you don't know how to do this, or you're like afraid to do this, please talk with a physical therapist, um, or get someone to help guide you through this process, you know, cause we want to make sure we're doing it progressively in a progressive overload fashion so that we're building up our tolerance to get you back to where we want to be. We definitely don't want you to just be like, okay, load, uh, I'm going to go back to exactly what I was doing at the same time. That's probably not a great idea. So load means, Hey, it's okay to start loading this back up. It's going to take time. You know, I would say, let pain be your guide. Essentially, if you're going back out there and it's like <laughs> 10 out of 10 pain, okay don't do that let's back it up but if you're going out there and it's like a one or two and and that's a, i'm okay with a little bit of pain things are going to have some discomfort but i want us to slowly start progressing back out there 
Okay, the O in love is optimism. They've actually found in lots and lots of studies that having an optimistic attitude will help with recovery time. You know, people who have poor outlooks or depression tend to have prolonged recoveries. And so having an optimistic attitude can actually be very helpful for your progress. And so it's kind of interesting. I know it's like, you know, like everyone wants to be optimistic, but oh, I can't be optimistic, Jordan. I'm in this situation. I get it. If you're an athlete and you're hurt, you don't want to be there. But just, you know, understand, hey, the more positive I am, the better this process is probably going to go. The V in love is vascularization. So it's kind of a kind of a stretch using the V there, but essentially what they're saying is it's a good idea to start doing some cardiovascular training. Get that blood pumping, get things moving. Um, you know, if when in doubt, if you can't do a whole lot of strength stuff and cardiovascular training feels okay, that's great. Let's do that. Let's focus on it. the big thing is doing some sort of movement. We just tend to find that people who have, you know, a better aerobic base tend to recover better, better tend to have better outcomes. And so, you know, getting stuff moving is really important. And once again, the E in the love is exercise. So once again, mobility work, if you need to, if that feels good for you, strength, cardiovascular, wherever, like whatever level you're at is fine. Like let's say all you can do is just kind of some gentle range of motion stuff. Okay, we start there. And then when you say, okay, I can get the range of motion. I can do unloaded, you know, cardiovascular stuff. That's cool, feeling good. Okay, now I can start loading to some strength up. That's great from there. So it's just really progressing kind of understanding. Like if you step back though, like this whole piece in love is kind of cool. The big thing that what I want you to take away from this is like, I don't want you to be like, oh, I'm hurt, I'm doing nothing. You know, I want you to do something, you know, and I talk about a couple days of rest, but really it's like, that's just to give you a framework to like not jump back into things. But like, really, I mean, if you get injured, you know, you can as early as that, you know, the next day or whatever, you can slowly start doing stuff if you're feeling okay. I mean, typically if I get hurt, I'll try to the next day to even do just some gentle range of motion stuff, do whatever, just kind of get things moving. Like I said, the earlier we get you moving, the better outcomes you're going to have. And I want you to do active modalities, right? Not passive modalities. Active modalities kind of help, you know, let your body know, hey, I can do this. I can do this movement without pain. I can survive. You know, I'm going to be okay. I'm resilient. And so we'll get you back there. But like I said, just kind of understand that framework where like if I'm hurt, you know, we're going to just kind of calm things down and slowly build back up. Those are essentially the two things we're doing is calming it down and then building things back up. That's all it takes. It's actually relatively simple. But once again, if you're stalling out on these, I would be remiss if I didn't say, Hey, please talk to your doctor, talk to a sports doctor, talk to a physiotherapist, talk to, you know, someone who can help guide you back here if you're not progressing the way you want. Um, but it's super important to, to kind of make sure that we're heading in the right direction. And that if you need that, you can get someone with professional help. All right, this brings us to the end of our podcast. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you found something helpful here. And if you did find this helpful or you enjoyed it, it would mean the world if you liked, subscribed, commented, or shared it with a friend. You know, that's the best way to kind of get this podcast and these videos out is, is sharing with someone. So if you found this helpful, that'd mean the world if you did that. But thanks so much for stopping by today. Really appreciate it. Now get outside, get off the internet, and go enjoy your day. Take care. Disclaimer, this podcast is for entertainment, education, and informational purposes only. The topics discussed should not solely be used to diagnose, treat, or prevent any condition. The information presented here was created with an evidence-based approach, but please keep in mind that science is always changing, and at the time of listening to this, there may be some new data that makes this information incomplete or inaccurate. Always seek the advice of your personal physician or qualified healthcare provider for questions regarding any medical condition.